the concept of future proofing the search engine optimization or as a whole digital marketing like that's without a question if you think you're just going to learn something once and sit back and it's going to be applicable for the next decade you're in the wrong field this is Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Roman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, we connected on this Facebook podcast group and you reached out and you shared with me your career journey. And I know there's a lot of talk about the incoming recession, or some people might even say that the recession has already happened. And a lot of people are very fearful right now. There is a lot of news that even a lot of the tech giants have either laid off people or have a freeze hiring. So there is a lot of nervousness going around in the economy. And one thing that made your story interesting is that you've actually experienced this in the 2008 recession. And I thought bringing you on to share the lessons you learned in the 2008 recession will help people prepare for the recession that is going to be happening that could be lasting for at least a few years. So before we get started into knowing more about you and what you've accomplished, why don't you walk us through the beginnings of your story and then we can start from there. Yeah, so as you said, I interned, well, I'm saying it now, but we talked about it. I interned with the Secret Service in fall of 2007 on the counterfeit currency squad. I held a top secret federal clearance. I was a criminal justice major. Even before that, I was looking to go into law enforcement or even the military as a commissioned officer for the Marine Corps, going in as a second lieutenant. But basically, things change and you have to kind of pivot and adapt. So right after that, I graduated January of 2008, and then the recession hit. So in the U.S., state, local, federal agencies froze hiring for months and months. I was looking for jobs in criminal justice and then just random things that I thought I can apply the skill set and, you know, the courses I had in college And kind of obviously I was down feeling kind of, you know, crappy about myself. You know, I went through four years. This degree is like, you know, useless right now. And like everybody else, you know, people with master's degrees, doctorate degrees were, you know, working as baristas and stuff like that and couldn't find anything. So for months and months I was applying. And then finally, like the only thing that really kind of kept me sane and clear my head a little bit was to continue to work out and not like let myself go and get even further in terms of like my mindset, I guess in like a darker place. So I would go to the gym and then one day at the gym, somebody that I was working out with basically knew my situation and they said, come out to my car. I want to give you something. I guess it was 2008. So the conversation could have went a lot of different ways, maybe like an illegal route or whatever. But I said to myself, I had really nothing to lose. I went out to their car and they opened their truck and handed me a packet about search engine optimization. It's like a 50 page packet. And they said, read this, go online for another like month, read up on it and you can start doing it for my company. So I had nothing to lose. It was a new skill set. I said, why not? And that was kind of the beginnings of me getting into the digital marketing field, which at that time was still kind of like the wild west. So a lot of things 
you know, sketchy things you can do with things that are, I guess, frowned upon by search engines and other platforms now that you can a lot easier make money and, you know, rank for things and things of that nature. So I started there and basically worked my way kind of through the industry. And I often say that, and I often hire people that have real world experience over, you know, accolades in a classroom, because for certain things you need kind of that experience, especially in a climate like, you know, a turbulent economic climate that you can count on the person and their skill set. So I started doing that a few months. I did that. And the funny thing, I've only shared this a few times, that person, it was a learning lesson. They couldn't pay me because their cat got cancer and they dropped like $20,000 on their cat. So take it as you will. That was a learning experience. My first one in business, you know, have everything in writing and contractual, but I had that and developed that skill set that then I took to another company called LexisNexis, which was in the legal industry, which I was able to work real time on websites and social media campaigns and kind of got promoted there. And then held three director roles on the agency side at various agencies in 2012, decided to start, you know, a digital marketing agency. And along that time as well, worked my way up to work with Fortune 500 clients, clients in pharma life sciences, financial services, e-commerce, personal brands, you name it. And I was just kind of giving it a chance saying, why not? That basically started and had a snowball effect. That's a great summary of your career journey in three, four minutes. So let's start from the beginning. Originally, you spent four years to do criminal justice, right? Because you plan to do that in your career. And then obviously, the 2008 recession took it in a different direction. How did you know the recession happened? Is it because of the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy? Or how did you know that something was brewing? Well, I mean, everything started crashing. Like you said, Lehman Brothers just completely, they, well, that's the only ones that really didn't get bailed out. But every time, you know, you put the TV on every morning, the stock market was down like at least 100 points, you know, every day, day after day after day. Monthly kind of job numbers, they were just like dwindling, like job loss month after month. And really, like I mentioned, a budget freezing within the government sector. So when the government kind of starts clamping down on spending, which a lot of the time they're very frivolous with spending, throwing money everywhere, kind of building bridges to nowhere and spending billions of dollars. And like I said, local, state and federal agencies basically froze hiring. So that was indicative and really mirrored other you know, industries within the country as well. How did the recession like, affect your friends and family? Somewhere in like recession proof industries, I think like healthcare, if you're in healthcare, it's somewhat recession proof. My dad did construction. So depending on the construction, obviously, housing slowed down. That's obviously another like housing bubble pops and you know, the home prices start going a little crazy which see that possibly happening soon. So my dad did construction, but other like friends that graduated around the same time had a harder time finding their quote unquote ideal jobs or the jobs that they were thinking that they would be getting out of college where they had to maybe settle for temp roles or settle for things that were, you know, like I said, working at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or stuff like that just to pay the bills, just to get by through that time period until somebody actually, you know, looked at the resume or they went in for an interview and actually got it. So I think it was more so for friends, you know, a lot of family were working roles and jobs in somewhat recession-proof industries. Did any of your friends or did you ever consider 
going back to school because you just finished the bachelor's, right? And some people right now, like if they got laid off recently and let's say they tried the job search for a few months, they say, okay, this is not working. Maybe going back to school, do an MBA for a couple of years, ride out the recession. And then by the time I graduate, the recession should be over and there should be more opportunities for jobs. Like what's your thoughts on that? It depends who you are. I had the mindset of, I didn't want to get more in debt from like the financial side. And I couldn't really bet on, you know, how long it would last. Obviously, you have historical data. If you call something recession or depression, how long, you know, the shortest and longest lasted over time. But for me, it was just like, you know, mass application to jobs, like different careers, just different anything, like anything to get my foot in the door that, you know, I can possibly plant a flag and maybe expand from that. Because it's hard. It's funny. There's a lot of like memes and stuff online where it's like, you know, looking for entry level employee with 20 years experience and so and so and that this, that or the other. And it's like true in certain situations, which is like, you know, your hands are tied. They want a college degree, but then they also want experience, but you can't have one with the other if you're coming straight out of school. So in a way, if your situation allows it, I would almost say if you can move back home or cut down as many bills as possible in that duration of time, if you have anything else that you wanted to try or you have like, you know, an entrepreneurial bug that you want to start something or you've talked about it with friends or, you know, people that you know. I would almost try and try to fail now because if you fail in like this turbulent climate, like the worst you can do is fail. But if you succeed, you know, like your company is potentially something because you can make it in a harder market. So you've probably heard this phrase where a lot of millionaires are made more during a recession than during economic growth. Why do you think that is? I think they take bigger risks. I think a lot of people succeed. The only reason they succeed is because they stick with it. Like you often say, you know, there's like two, three, four people going after the same goal or starting the same thing. And, you know, they all get close to it. But the person that kind of stays with it and gets kind of knocked down, but then keeps getting up is the one that makes it. If they're already stable in terms of investments and stuff before it, they just, you know, saying the rich get richer. I believe it was the biggest transfer of wealth in history this last two or three years, just based on opportunity. So when there's opportunity and people, you know, are affluent or have investments or are liquid enough to take advantage of it, they kind of double down on that and make the most money in a more volatile market per se. So you're in marketing, right? And one of the things when it comes to the recession or when times are tough, they usually cut their marketing budget. So what's your thoughts on that? I think you should future-proof yourself. So basically, when I started, I started in search engine optimization. And then two, three years, social media started kind of taking off. I got on Facebook when it was still like the Facebook and you needed a college email address to get on. And then they became open to everyone in like 2008 or 2009 and Twitter came out. So then I saw the importance of social media. So social media strategy. Then I started learning paid social, paid search, media buys, things of that nature, content strategy, overall tactical planning, moved on the analytics side. So analyzing data, analytics platforms. So I tried to make and made myself as valuable as possible in terms of my skill set. So I was impossible to fire because you would need like five people to replace my skill set. So basically, 
basically like make yourself as valuable as possible. And just because your role is one thing or you get into something, learn as much as you can, regardless if you see that being a full-time role or anything like that, or or you may want to leave with that experience, but getting the most out of every opportunity, regardless of what it is or what field it is. So like I said, basically, I future-proofed myself. And then not only I saw myself like, well, if I'm in one industry or marketing to one industry, that's cool. But having a vast array of experience in different industries can really be impactful, you know, for a potential client in the future. So taking learnings, let's say, in the pharma life science industry, and then applying it to financial services, things that they may not be doing, but it'll work and it adds value. So really looking at like that, and if you can future proof your skill set in yourself, so you make it as valuable as possible. And when there is maybe a layoff period, or they're looking at, you know, getting rid of people, because, you know, oftentimes, like you said, marketing are the first to go, especially when a company is acquired or taken over, usually like they remove the marketing team, and then maintain or retain the ones they have. So make yourself as valuable as possible. So they have to second guess to actually getting rid of you. So have you had like these very deep discussions with some of your clients right now? Because like, again, like they know the recession's coming and people are pulling back. Like, have you had these difficult conversations with them or are they being so successful with you that they're not really thinking about it right now? I think it's like other things. So businesses plan and kind of project for the future. Some are like, you know, let's make as much money now or let's be more reserved. So things like paid search, paid social, media buying, spend may go down a little bit and marketing spends as a whole buckets to use for external agencies, consultants, that kind of stuff may tighten up. But there's always, I think, room for expertise. So consulting, tactical planning, advisory things. I've had plenty of situations where other agencies have called me to go in and audit you know, whatever my expertise and skill set that I'm known for, but they may be offering it because a lot of companies are, especially in the digital marketing field, agencies say they're full service. Yes, you may be full service, but you have to have like, what is your core expertise? Like you had to have started in something. I started in organic search. So like, I know it like the back of my hand and, you know, that particular agency was good at website design and development and other things but not as strong in search engine optimization. So I would go in and, you know, audit everything, give recommendations, cross train their teams and stuff like that. So it's really like finding opportunity in that market and and you being still valuable and really not selling that client because a lot of companies sell just to sell, just to pad their budgets. I mean, I've worked at agencies where I would go in for a pitch and the sales rep is selling like a hundred thousand dollar additional website where they don't even need it. And like this is nonsense. And I have to like be quiet and sit there because they want to do that. And obviously that was a conflict of interest. But you'd be surprised like how effective you could develop a marketing plan on like a tighter and leaner budget. Like you can still get results in a tougher economy online and not break the bank in terms of a company. I heard that when times are tight, such as a recession. People tend to make decisions that they should have made like years ago. So, for example, let's say again, I'm making this up. If let's say they spent two grand on Facebook ads a month and they're not getting a lot of conversions, but hey, we're getting something, so let's just 
keep leaving it on. But there's another vehicle that is working. But again, they don't want to completely pull out of Facebook. And then the recession hits and that's when they say, okay, we got to pull a plug of Facebook. We're, we're, we're not getting as much return as we want to and we're, we're bleeding a lot of money. So let's just move to stuff that does work. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're in a, in a scenario like that where you have to cut things that aren't working, but a lot of companies still in 2022 have like the mindset in terms of marketing, let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Like, you know, let's throw spaghetti. And like, I hate that. I've heard that so many meetings, people have said that. And it's like, no, let's not do that because you're just going to stretch yourself thin. It also presents an opportunity on the other end, just like double down on your successes. So like cut out everything that's not producing, be very analytical about it. Look at the data, what driven leads, sales, conversions currently, what are we doing? What can we possibly be doing that may deliver at a cheaper price as well? So, I mean, if it's applicable, like, you know, We've seen the rise of TikTok in the last months and through the pandemic, and they opened up their ads platform, and it's still fairly cost-effective. Now, if you can reach your target audience on TikTok, that may be something you can try. And maybe if you see some kind of success, maybe that will lower your marketing spend, and you can take everything that you were spending on Facebook, put it on TikTok, and then get exponentially higher you know, conversions, sales, and results from that. So I think it's continuously testing regardless of what the economic climate is. But yes, it's a good time. You're going to look at budgets. You're going to look at where you're spending your money a lot stricter and a lot finer in terms of your, you know, finance department or whoever, you know, VP of marketing, CFO, whoever else is looking at it because people are often, you know, scrambling and especially in big companies, C-suite executives and, you know, VPs and higher, there's a high level of turnover at a frequent amount of time because you're not producing. So if you're not producing, obviously you get let go on more visible positions. So I see that happening, but I see that also happening that you can take that money and reinvest it in things that are working and potentially try things that you may not be trying that may work even better. So what's the fine line between testing it enough and pulling the plug too early? Well, it depends on the spend and the, it depends on the duration of time. It also depends, obviously, on the industry. If it's something like a sale, like if you're selling something straight to the consumer and the thing is, you know, $10 and whatever your amount that you're willing to spend that is profitable in terms of marketing it and promoting it versus, you know, what the object is being sold for versus like if you're B2B, if you're selling software, that one software sale may be, you know, six or seven figures. Obviously, there's a projected rate of, you know, what you would be getting and what you should be spending. But usually you need a certain amount of time to gather as much data as possible. So you have to have a budget that's somewhat, you know, makes sense and is scoped out to deliver results, projected results, and a duration of time, potentially, you know, six to eight weeks, or if you have a quarter to run something and see your results that way. But if it's like, you start out and it's a few weeks and it's crickets and you're not doing anything, like you're not adjusting anything on your website side or, you know, on your ad side and it's still not working, then that may be a time to pivot as well. So speaking of like future proofing yourself and upskilling, in your opinion, what are some skills that you suggest professionals learn if, again, they're 
laid off and they're looking to like pivot to a different career or they're trying to future proof themselves. So the chance of them getting let go during the recession are minimal. Soft skills. If your soft skills aren't on point to begin with, I think you should really look at like your emotional IQ and how you communicate with people before you undertake your next role, because obviously that's important. And being able to read people and potentially forecast like what's in their head, what what they're able to do or think about doing, like people in decision-making roles. But I mean, I guess skills that are highly desirable. I mean, being a good writer, that transcends a lot of industries. I mean, things like creating reports are like something simple. Like, you know, we've all created a PowerPoint, like having skills like that on point where you can really represent yourself or you know, show what you can do and the kind of reports you can put together. But just really being thorough and organized. Sometimes I think I'm a bit scatterbrained. So like I take a million notes if I have a meeting, but then really like digesting it and really creating like a recap for people that's very organized, that makes sense, like in terms of like order from, you know, who said what, what are we doing next steps? So I would say kind of organizational skills, I would say writing because that transcends industries and you can potentially even, you know, freelance as a copywriter, that kind of thing, if you're good enough being from search engine optimization and organic search, so search engine optimization research and how you can apply that if you are a writer for SEO friendly writing, obviously you should be writing to deliver value to the end user and not appease a search engine, but there are ways incorporating certain things that you have, you know, better odds to show up for things organically that you're looking to attract people for. So just overall research, writing, soft skills, I think are important and a good start. And then moving to the conversation of adaptability. So you started SEO in like late 2008, late 2009, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, <laughs> ranking for keywords was a, was a lot easier back then than what it is now. There are probably some like backlink tricks back in the day that works. And obviously now you'll actually get flagged if you do it. So my question to you is, as things get more competitive, like in different spaces, for example, like UX, UI designs getting very popular now, same with like that analysis. So there's a lot of boot camps, which means that there's an influx of people trying to get these certifications and trying to get these lucrative jobs. So what's your advice on being adaptable to remain competitive in a very tight job market? Obviously, regard the industry, but regardless, like digital marketing, you know, Google Analytics certification, so on and so forth. A lot of those, obviously, it's just a test. So keeping your skills sharp. So whatever you're learning, obviously, in 2008, there were people learning, but then when time progressed, I think 2010, 2012, 2014, a lot more people started learning how to code, or at least having an understanding as well. And there's plenty of places that are open source that you can take like free academies and stay sharp in it. But I mean, if you get let go in something, you have to find a way to upkeep and use that skill set so you're not losing that functionality of whatever that skill is. So However you want to do that, if you can potentially, obviously, tapping your alumni network, stuff like that, that's something that a lot of people don't do. They don't think about, you know, the school they graduated in. And I'm not necessarily saying that those people can get you a job, but at least having a conversation, because if you don't have a role currently, or if you were let go, it looks you know dark at times. If you're applying for months and months, you have to do things that 
basically keep you up, keep you positive. And I think one of those things is like going out, networking, being as visible as possible. Other things besides keeping up with certifications, I think it's important to show your expertise. So any opportunity you have to, let's say, go on a podcast related to the field you're in to show who you are and your skill set, talk about former wins or what you did for clients or in your role to highlight that. And then obviously promoting it, marketing it, connecting with people on LinkedIn. If you can get something in terms of a writing opportunity or putting a quote in a, a publication with in your industry to really highlight that. And that's something that oftentimes when you're straight out of school, your resume is somewhat short, obviously, other than internships and you know clubs and volunteer work. That's something that you can add to that and really kind of showcase your expertise because somebody's going to want to know or trying to figure out you know what you know or how well you know it. And yeah, certifications are great. A lot of them you need for certain industries, but Being in a specific industry, you know, people cram for that. Sometimes like for Google Analytics, you can take the test, but obviously there's, you know, cheat sheets out there. So it doesn't truly know. So like, even if you're hiring somebody, you have to obviously give them some kind of test or ask them questions that they're proficient in what they're being hired for. But if you see people really out there or even people vouching for those people in terms of, you know, having them on their show or on their website to add different knowledge, like if there's a knowledge base or a forum or anything like that, or a community where that person is shining, answering questions, helping other people out that really demonstrates their expertise, I think goes a long way as well. So going back to you in terms of the SEO, you obviously got good results in the first few years with the tactics that you've learned. And then Google, let's say they change the algorithm on you. So the tactics that you use aren't as effective. How did you decide whether to try to adapt to deliver the skill set that makes SEO work again or like adding on new layers in your digital marketing uh, toolkit? I added on new layers in general outside of that. But even then, at a role that I was in at the time, I trained the whole content team and it was future-proofing your content. So like the concept of future-proofing in an industry like search engine optimization or as a whole digital marketing, like that's without a question. If you think you're just going to learn something once and sit back and it's going to be applicable for the next decade, you're in the wrong field because it's like a lot of testing, a lot of seeing, you know, what else is coming out there, a lot of being in front of kind of trends and being early adopter to certain platforms that come out to see how they can obviously impact and help your clients. So I was already theoretically future proofing and not doing shady stuff like, you know, gray hat or black hat per se, quote unquote, like industry terms. So like, you know, doing things that you're penalized for now, everything was being looked at or done for. And the event that Google would crack down, this would still, you know, be applicable and still be in the up and up. Like some of the vanity metrics as a whole started changing to being focused on the user themselves. So there's a lot of things where, you know, when a user is logged in, making sure that you still show up for them or content for them. So it moved away, like the general mindset moved out away from appeasing the search engine for then adding value to the end user. And ultimately, if you add value to the end user, and obviously search engine optimization isn't only about content, it's on-site things you do in terms of 
your content strategy, the things you do kind of behind the scenes, how your website is built, your backlink profile, things of that nature. And there's, you know, hundreds of ranking factors. Some are weighted more heavily, some are not. You have to look at all the algorithm changes that have happened since then to now, you know, all the things that were implemented to crack down on, you know, a bad and shady backlink profile or, you know, keyword stuffing, stuff like that, that devalued certain sites. I mean, it's funny because I went on an interview it was like a five-hour interview I entered. It was in a startup. I got interviewed by like six people. It was like a gauntlet. And I got the I got an offer. I turned it down because basically at the end, I told them, you know, what's going to happen? You put all your eggs in one basket. It was a medical-focused like directory where they sold like, you know, premier listings to doctors and nurses and stuff to show up higher. And they were they had this like spammy, generic way of building out their pages. I'm like, literally, the next time Google cracks down, it's good, probably going to be this kind of update. And you're going to lose majority of your traffic. So you're going to basically hire me and I'm going to be in a mess because you didn't listen or do things the right way. And basically a week later, there was a major update impacted their site. They lost a lot of organic traffic, like a lot of overall value and revenue to that site and they gave me an offer and i basically i'm not taking this because like i'm trying to work somewhere that like they don't have the same mindset like i do so that's kind of like one example so like if you truly care about the end user and then you take things into practice obviously it's a lot harder taking a site brand new domain you threw up a site you know the domain authority is almost nothing and building that and getting it to then, you know, show up for related things that you want to rank for. It's a lot easier when you're taking over a client and they've been doing somewhat good things over the years and, you know, it's a stronger site. So it's very situational, but I was thinking that already in the beginning, if you can future proof as much as possible within your industry, but don't pigeonhole yourself into like one specific thing. So like if you want to be skill and focus agnostic, like this is the one direction, I would say like always have something up your sleeve where you have additional expertise. All right. And going back to how you were not able to get into criminal justice because of the budget freeze from the government. So as you know, yes, people did get laid off, but a lot of people also got their job offers rescinded as well. So going back to like 2007, 2008, Tell us in detail, how did you deal with not being able to land your dream job, so to speak? And what are some learning lessons that if you had to do that again, how would you have handled it differently? I mean, I dealt with it the only way I knew how to deal with it. I think at first, if I went back, I wouldn't have been as like closed in and kind of like upset about it to begin with. I didn't let people in. I was kind of embarrassed that I graduated and I can't find anybody, you know, a job and I didn't want to like tell other people or tap other people. So like I said, you know, tap a network as fast as possible, see what skills are transferable to potentially other industries. But I wouldn't have changed it because it was such a great learning experience and it like developed into something like really great and, you know, changed kind of the direction of my life. And it happened like during a recession. So something came out of like the ashes per se. So when you have something develop like that, I think you're harder and more, you know, in tune for the next one. Like you have to experience something once and learn from it in order to face something similar. So 
I'd say everything in life is a lesson or a blessing. Like, you know, it would have been a blessing to get something right out of, you know, school by my dream job, so on and so forth. But that doesn't guarantee, like you said, then potentially being furloughed or laid off or, you know, fired because of like, you know, a few months later, then I would have had a different mindset. So I think it's all uh, situational in that sense. But like the easiest thing I can say is, you know, it's a blessing or a lesson if it's something tough learn from it because I'll make you stronger. I'll make your decision-making process in the future, I guess, that much more aligned and potentially like you'd be able to navigate that environment a little better. But like the only thing I would really change is to ask for help sooner because if you isolate yourself, it's that much harder. I had a friend once, he got let go and he was looking for a job for like five months and I didn't even know he was let go because he didn't even share that because he was so embarrassed. If I knew that, I would potentially like, you know, jump up and want to help him and potentially connect him with people that may have helped him out. So one, you don't know what opportunity is out there. And if you kind of isolate yourself and sit in your basement or wherever you are and just kind of feel bad for yourself, it's not going to change the situation. So really meeting as many people as possible, networking, tapping alumni networks, and just trying to be as useful as possible also, because you can also be doing things and learning additional skill sets that, you know, you may not be getting paid that much for or not at all. But like, if you're like, you know, shadowing somebody that has a company that he's making, you know, 20, 30, $40 million a month or something, or hundred million dollar a month company, that's, valuable and that person can potentially see your work ethic and what you're about and either offer you a job or you know connect you with someone so i think taking advantage of opportunities faster and kind of getting out of your own mind and not feeling bad for yourself yeah i think uh, getting laid off there's an ego component right because you take it personal again it's business right it is what it is because i've heard people get laid off that has nothing to do with their performance a common thing is last in first out rule which is basically the layoff people that are just recently hired because they're not familiar with the business yet. I know a couple of people that they got fired just because they were the newest people on the team. So again, you shouldn't really take a finer like that personal because again, it's just budget and business strategy, right? And again, in terms of like getting laid off, I've heard that it's actually more frightening to tell the family that they got laid off more so than the firing itself, right? Yeah, I got fired one time. And basically, I had to tell my wife, I had to tell her we booked the trip already to Iceland and we're like about to fly out. And the morning before like we flew out, I was like, uh, I got to let go. So it was one of those things I had to say before the trip because it would have, you know, bothered me inside. But yeah, you feel that initial sense of like guilt and a way shame for no reason. Because like you said, there are situations that you're getting let go, fired, laid off. And they're not anything to do with your performance. Sometimes it's like you said, that you're the newest hire, but sometimes there are situations where you have superiors that don't mesh well and it's an opportunity for them to get rid of you because there's internal politics and stuff like that. So I wouldn't let it, you know, phase you. And regardless, like not everybody's put in a role that they can succeed in. There's variables that like your hands are tied, you can't get the funding, you people don't do what you're, you know, trying to do. So regardless of you, if you got fired for a reason or laid off for a reason or not, that doesn't mean you're any less of, you know, an employer have worth within that industry or what you were doing. Yeah, the common leadership trick is when new leadership 
comes in, they will basically clean house and bring people they want. To- yeah, that they're loyal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's very political that way. So again, you can't take a firing personal when there's so much other stuff that you don't know about, right? Yeah. I mean, it's good sometimes because I had someone, a VP come in and they brought people with them. And basically as an olive branch at the time I was a contractor, they basically said all contractors are going to be turned to full-time salary. So it was like obviously a nice loyalty move. And it's like, well, come into my office and, you know, you can discuss salary. And basically like I was the first one in the office and like, what do you see your salary being? And I gave the amount that I wanted and they agreed on it. So in that sense, it was a good thing because like upper leadership changed. They brought in like a few people that are close to them that are loyal, but then they want some kind of loyalty for the rest. I mean, it's it's funny. If you watch like, you know, or into history, it's very like, you know, it reminds me of some kind of like kingdom. You know what I mean? It's very like these like Game of Thrones, like people watch Game of Thrones, like crazy like that. Like the current corporate structure and other companies, especially bigger companies that sometimes departments operate in silos. It could be good or bad, but, you know, however it impacted you, you just take it and learn from it. So when learning a new skill, for example, when you met this guy at the gym and he gave you like a 50-page booklet on SEO, I'm assuming that you never heard or knew that much about SEO before you read that. What advice can you give someone in terms of learning a new skill that they don't have any technical expertise prior? Yeah, so I didn't know anything about SEO and I didn't really like do much other than like internet research for papers and stuff for school. Like, you know, I think while I was in college, Yahoo was still the dominant search engine. So I think just going into it without any like, oh, this is hard or I don't know anything because there's a lot of things in SEO. Like I started learning the easier things. Obviously, I didn't have that technical expertise in terms of, you know, knowledge of website development and coding and stuff like that. And then started picking up kind of a basic knowledge set within that. So I would see like whatever it is that you're learning, what interests you and what you could potentially like grow in the fastest because it has to connect in one way or another because it's going to be that much harder to learn like the hardest aspect of something or the aspect that you like don't like. So take something out of like the process or, I mean, it depends obviously on the industry, but like for me, like say content strategy or how to figure out your target persona or thinking about what you can take in terms of the skill set from your previous career, if you're switching careers or from your education, because from criminal justice, the criminal justice angle that I liked was a lot of psychology. So being like a profiler, like, you know, FBI profiler for serial killers and stuff like that, like what makes people make the decision that they make. And obviously now what makes people make the decision of purchasing something or going with one company or another for something. So like that part interested me the most. So I basically started reading more about psychology and psychology and marketing and how to apply that and really content strategy. And then started getting more into the technical things when I started learning a bit more about the industry. So I think getting your footing in the basics and then starting with something that you're interested in and then kind of expand from that. But something has to be the cornerstone or that growing point. Like for me, like if you want to look at digital marketing, search engine optimization, then it was social media platforms and it was paid social, paid search, media buys. And then it kept going in terms of, you know, building onto that expertise. 
Did you develop a passion for SEO and then that evolved into digital marketing? I did. I think it was very fast paced. Like I said, it's ever changing. So you're never really bored. I mean, it's a gift and a curse because it's constantly learning. It's not like, you know, you have this one job. I mean, there's only so many ways to, you know, hammer a nail if you're doing construction. But with digital marketing, that interested me, that kind of freshness and that ever-changing environment. And then just the industry itself, people were very friendly. People that I got into around the same time, I worked at a company that the team was like 100 people. So a lot of people were my age. Those people started going to other agencies, creating their own things, you know, opening up their own agencies. So it was very kind of inspiring in that sense that they're doing it. And I'm just as smart, have managed as many clients or as much spent. Why not me? So that kind of motivated me, that aspect of it. So regardless of what that is also, I mean, I would recommend networking. And I mean, it depends what industry you're in, but if you have the mindset of like, you know, let's learn to and grow together and like, you know, there's that like elevator to the top, you can be the only person and just like keep everybody away. Like they're all adversaries or competitors, or you can kind of collaborate and all succeed in a way. And I try to take that mindset where it was collaborating, asking for help. I mean, at that time, there were people that were more technical that I worked with. Like I said, had a lot of you know coding, web development experience that I would ask them something. They would teach me something, and then I would then be interested in it more to then go and learn it myself. So like opportunities like that arose also. What advice do you have for someone that wants to learn a new skill and What's the difference between like being frustrated because you can't figure out the answer or being frustrated that this is not really for them? Knowing the right answer, if you don't know the right answer, if you do get the right answer, it then propels you to keep learning or know more or like elevate, like level up. If you don't know the right answer and you get the right answer, then you're like, whatever, like this doesn't do anything for me then you're just doing it to do it. And listen, there's a lot of people out there that are in roles and jobs that aren't their ideal or dream roles. Obviously, everybody has bills to pay, you know, student debt, debt in general. So not everyone is in a role that's their dream job or even jobs that they're happy in. But that's something that you have to kind of make the decision for yourself. Like, you can't be miserable. Eventually, it'll burn you out. And you may not even want to stay in the industry you're in. So I think... If you don't know the answer, the quickest thing is I would try because going to someone and then asking them for an answer to something, oftentimes if you're like super junior, they'll say, hey, did you try it yourself? If you did it, they'll send you back to see if you could do it yourself. Like at least make an attempt. And, you know, if you fail at it, if you can't still learn it, go to somebody that's skilled enough to help you or walk you through it. Then when you do know it, you know, if that inspires you or gives you some kind of drive to keep going, yeah, go with it. If it's just like you're in the mindset where like, I don't want to learn it myself, like it's, it's just easier. Let me ask other people. If you go with that route, I think you're not really vested in it and it's not going to necessarily work out long term. Not to say like, you know, you're a horrible person or, you know, you're not skilled. It just may not be, I guess, the right fit at the right time. So it's more about like, if you enjoy the process of finding the answer, then it's probably something you're interested in. But if you just want someone to tell you what the answer is, it's probably not for you. Yeah, I mean, it's like that with everything. Achieving goals. If it's instant gratification, that like dopamine hit is like 
temporary and goes away. But then they say, like, you know, what you get out of, like, goals, reaching goals, like, the journey itself is kind of the reward. So, like, all the ups and downs and getting to wherever you want to get. So, if you're doing it that way and you're getting value out of the process and the journey and it's actually rewarding, like, yeah, you're in the right place. But if it's, like, you know, you just want to just, which obviously people do, there's nothing wrong with it, like, just jump over and skip a whole thing. When you skip it, it's not as rewarding. I mean, when you earn something yourself versus when you're handed something, it's just two separate feelings. So when the economy recovered after the 2008 recession, did you ever have the itch to try to go back into criminal justice? A little bit, I guess, even in the Secret Service. So like I started seeing how a federal agency operated. It was very bureaucratic. Obviously, it's part of the government. So basically, every few years, you would change posts. So that was the thought process. If I wanted to start a family, get married, it'd be kind of tough uprooting every few years and moving. So at that time, when obviously the recession passed, I was in a serious relationship. Then I was married. And it would be a lot harder to, you know, undertake something like that. And then especially if you're in a field office and your director like hates you, the next post they can put you in is like Anchorage, Alaska or like Fargo, where there's like two other people in the office and you have to stay there for a few years and you don't have a choice. And at least one time in your career, you have to do the Washington, D.C. protective duty. So you have to kind of prepare for that, knowing that you're going to live in the area and stuff like that. But Like for federal, which I wanted to do, a lot of federal agencies, there's a lot of moving and it's not stable. So it was a different thing for me. Okay. So my next question probably already has an answer to it. If you could go back and let's say the recession didn't happen, you got your criminal justice job. Would you go back and get it or the path that you've led now is the better path for you? If I'm at this point and I know I have a choice in the two paths, basically you're saying, I would say still digital marketing just based on the industry changing, what I've been learning, kind of becoming, I wouldn't say the thought leader, but, you know, contributing to different publications, networking, the camaraderie that I've developed, the skill set. I think the skill set itself is more interchangeable because even if I wanted to go into like straight consulting or something like that, the skill set is convertible. Like at a time I was approached by McKinsey to do like digital marketing consulting. So I think the skills that I've learned within digital marketing are more transferable and more desirable. And the likelihood of me doing them for an extended period of time are a lot greater. So like with uh, criminal justice, obviously, as you get older, you can get phased out out of the field into an office setting or potentially obviously retire early. So with digital marketing, I can see it's something that if I really wanted to, I can, you know, run an agency or do something, you know, well past the time that I could possibly do something within the criminal justice field. Obviously, I can move to education or teach or something like that in terms of being a professor, adjunct professor in terms of criminal justice. But it's just kind of my mindset now that I took as many learnings and transferable skill sets from criminal justice that I can apply to marketing, to really understanding who a user or demographic is, to, you know, developing content strategy. And I I mean, I define myself within the digital marketing industry. So yeah, so in a way, the digital marketing industry gives you a wider range of opportunities that criminal justice wouldn't be able to if you work for the government, because it's a very narrow path, right? 
Yep. Obviously, like I said, I could pivot. So yeah. because I, like I said, didn't pigeonhole myself in one skill set or one discipline, like, you know, if I wanted to not do things for myself, I can always go somewhere else and, you know, be VP in social or in search or whatever, because the skill set is so wide now and all the skills put together, like the tool set, like I would say, you know, build up the biggest Swiss army knife you can that, you know, solves the most problems. I think I've done that to a point where I'm desirable enough that I'm super confident if I need to go in for an interview, if it's something like that, or on the pitch, I'm confident enough in my skills that I know there's not that many people out there that have pivoted or have experience in as many things as I do. So what are some lessons that you provide someone that is currently laid off or worry about the recession coming? Like, What are some lessons that you could provide that you've learned from your 2008 experience? I would plan financially, like regardless if you're working or not, if you have savings, if you have any kind of plan, if you're living with family, if you have rent to pay, I would at least, you know, develop some kind of short-term and long-term plan maybe for the next year, like what your spending looks like, where you can cut down and then have like potentially what if scenarios, like if it gets really bad, what am I doing? If it's something not as bad that like, you know, better than the situation in 2008, how am I going to undertake it? And really figuring out like, what are you actually like willing to do to survive for that time period? Because, you know, it could potentially get rough. Out of 2008, there's no shame of moving back home to try to get back on your feet if that's something potentially you can do. But if you do do that, really staying motivated and on track. So having a financial plan, having a plan to where you want to go, like you said, potentially undertaking another degree. But like for me personally, I wouldn't do that. Obviously, if I had an employer that would pay for it, I would do it that way. But if there's any certifications or stuff like that, I actually took a graduate course in digital marketing in like 2010, just on paper to look, you know, better that, you know, I learned these, I have expertise, but on paper, like in the class, I also, you know, have experience. It's funny because at that point, I already knew more than some of the professors and some of the softwares and tools that I used for like the capstone project and other projects. They were like, you know, how'd you create this or how you come up with this data. But a lot of people within that class were laid off and fired. So there's a lot of look into, you know, government programs and grants and stuff like that, especially coming from unemployment and I could potentially pay for that skill set, you know, upping that skill set or, you know, getting certifications to potentially get a higher role within the industries you're in. So really being mindful of the opportunities you have, of the funding you have, creating a plan, and then figuring out, like, what are you willing to do? Like, for me, I didn't really have a choice, so I took advantage of the opportunity. Like, asking yourself if you get an opportunity in a completely different field and it potentially can lead to something else, are you going to take it? I mean, my recommendation would be take it because you don't know where it would lead you. And worse off, you'll get that life experience or develop some kind of other skill set. But really taking advantage of opportunities, having a personal and professional plan. And if you are currently uh, already unemployed, getting out there, going to as many networking things, you know, even hacking opportunities. There was a year where I wanted to meet as many people as possible on a level where if I met them in person for 15, 20 minutes, I would be paying like tens of thousands of dollars. So 
like meeting Gary Vaynerchuk for free and getting to talk to him for a little bit, meeting Max Levchin, one of the co-founders of PayPal for free. And that was just getting into events for free. It wasn't like sneaking in. It was like they're launching like in New York City, a branch of for the East Coast launching their office. So just getting on the list to get in and having that opportunity to talk to those kind of high network and high net worth individuals, maybe they don't give you an opportunity, but at least you can pick your brain, maybe even ask them, has this ever happened to you? What do you recommend for me? What would be the best thing? So taking opportunities like that, there's a lot of things you can do for free. It just takes you time to find them. So events, networking things that you can bypass levels of people in your everyday, where if you contacted their office, you might get an assistant and then another person. Whereas if you can get into this event for free and talk and pick their brain and maybe throw out some kind of tidbit or demonstrate your expertise in you know, a minute or two, and that catches kind of like, hey, okay, this person's cool. You may know what he's talking about, you know, come in for a further talk. So really having that as well. And that's always an option. Great. And I want to end this podcast episode with one last question for you. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges. So what has been one big career challenge or life lesson that you could share to help people listening become better professionals in their career? I guess separating things that are, you know, business and your personal feelings and understanding that things aren't personal majority of the time. So like we talked about getting fired, getting laid off right off the bat, don't take it personal, like really evaluate it. Okay, it happened. Like, what are my next steps? Like separating emotion from the decision making process. Because if you're in that emotional state, you're often going to make the wrong decision, and it's going to be heated, and it won't necessarily have the result that you want. And I would say leaving on good terms, regardless of what the situation, you know, you get fired, you get laid off, regardless if it's your fault or not, you know, thank you for the opportunity. If there's, you know, anything I can do, so on and so forth, potentially write an email. So I think professionalism and separation of emotion can get you a long way and make your decision making a lot better and then work on obviously that comes from emotional empathy. So really like being able to read situations in that sense, because, you know, you get fired, you're in a room, sometimes it's not your fault. If it's like a firing that's not warranted, you may feel a certain way, you may want to like curse out everybody in the room. But thinking back when you leave that room, and you're not heated anymore, was the right course of action. And it probably isn't because those people are probably going to tell other people, so on and so forth. So I would say separating your emotion and kind of keeping that in check would be one of the biggest things I can leave behind. Yeah, as the saying goes, when you take the emotion out of your answer, that's probably the right answer. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If you ever gotten a passive aggressive or a sarcastic email and you want to like write back right away, like sit on it for like 10, 20 minutes and then revisit it. You know, it goes a long way to not be heated. Like you can't make decisions in the emotional state. They're not going to be the right course of action, in my opinion. I mean, it's happened to me and none of those times where I didn't take emotion out of the process, it led to the outcome that I wanted. For sure. And again, Roman, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your career lessons in the recession. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and know more about your story? Yeah, so Roman Prokopchuk, obviously the last name's a little tough, but you can find me on, you know, all social media platforms. 
My agency is Nova Zora Digital, and I have a podcast called The Digital Savage Experience. So any of those places, you can check me out. Again, I really appreciate the time, Roman. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.